I guess it's just me. I love to do that. Okay. Hey, hey, welcome. Good morning. My name is Pastor Dale. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12 today. Romans chapter 12. If you're new here at Seacoast, I would love to meet you out in the plaza afterwards and uh, buy you a donut or something. Okay. But it's great to have you with us. We're in a series entitled You Are Here. It's a discipleship series in which we're trying to lay out the path of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, Jesus is leading us somewhere. We're trying to define that path. And we're not really doing it. God's Word does it in Romans chapter 12. We started this a few weeks ago, and we really emphasized then that the starting point for all of our spiritual journey is to be in Christ. It's that moment in which you trust Christ as your Savior, begin to follow Him, and, uh, and you're, you're in His grace. So it always begins by being in Christ and in His grace. And everything we're going to be teaching is going to be responsive to how do we now, in the grace of God, alive in Christ, how do we, where does God want to take us? Uh, we started three weeks ago, we visited worship. Because Romans 12:1 says, the very first thing is you need to understand that grace calls us to respond with sacrifice. Uh, not, a, not a sacrifice Old Testament style, but ourselves as a living sacrifice surrendered to Christ. To say, Lord, here I am. I can, you know, before God wants anything else of us, money, time, effort, all of which is good to give to him, the most important thing is do you give yourself. He wants it to start in our hearts. And that's the essence of real worship. We move from there to not just real worship, but the fact that to really do that, then we've got to rechange the way we think. It's the renewing of the mind. I call it to visit the town of wisdom. In other words, the renewed mind where we understand what the will of God is and how he wants us to be living it out and discovering that perfect will of God. We go from wisdom to the first step in that wisdom, and that's a renewed mind in how we think about service or serving. And we learn that at the heart of the Christian life, Jesus said, hey, I didn't come to be served but to serve and give my life for others. So we've got to unpack and understand that in our lives and and again, it's all by His grace that we're actually able now, free now, by the grace of God, to begin to, to grow in worship and wisdom and service. And today we're going to hit the next passage. As we go from Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8 last week, we're going to look now at verses 9 through 13. 9 through 13 is going to be, be the town, uh, no other word to call it except love. What's it mean to be part of a spiritual family? What's that look like? What's that really mean? Pray with me as we go there. Father God, as we visit this uh, stop along the journey of what you want us to become, of what you have created us in Christ to be, um, teach us about being better lovers. Um, teach us about what it means uh, to understand what love looks like and acts like, and uh, especially teach us about this aspect of loving one another. I just pray, Father, that you would... Uh, you would do by your strength, by your spirit, what I can never begin to even do, and that is to, uh, to take truth and bring it alive in our hearts so that it changes us. So we just pause before we uh, get into the meat of the sermon to say, uh, Lord Jesus, teach me, uh, change me, 
And I trust you to do that. Would you pray that? Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 12. From the very first story in the Bible, the very first story of human history, uh, we see God looking down on creation. Genesis 2.18 is the reference if you want to write it down. And God looks at a perfect creation, absolutely free of sin, and he says, i got one problem with what I see. And God looks at Adam and he says, it is not good for him to be a man. Is that right? No, that's the female version of the Bible. Yeah. No, but what does it say? It says, it is not good for him to be alone. Yeah. It's not good for him to be alone. I will make a special person to compliment and go with him and, and partner with him. And, and God creates for Adam a creature called Eve. And Adam looks at Eve and he likes it. He likes what he sees. Uh, he loves her. And they start this journey together. You see, first there was one, and then God created another. And from that moment on, we've been trying to figure out this thing called one another. Because then the one got together with the other, and then they created what? Just say another. (laughs) Okay, I'm kind of playing with this this morning. Yeah, they created another. And then they created another, another, you know, and next thing you know, you had a little family of four at least, and it began to grow beyond that. But, but we see in scripture that all of a sudden we realize life is not lived alone. That life as a follower of Jesus Christ, life for anyone has got to involve learning what it means to have healthy relationships, learning what it means to really love, not just yourself and not just your God, You know, loving God a lot of times is easier for me than loving you. Okay, now why is that? Well, it's because you are not God. Can you say that back to me? We am not God. We are not God. We am not God. Can you say, oh man, I really butchered that. Yeah, say we are not God. I am not God. And the reality is because we live with imperfect human beings, God's got to unpack for us, explain to us what it means to really have relationships that glorify God and make life work I call it loving one another. Jesus drew out the importance of this when in the great commandment, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the Old Testament? And Jesus said this, number one, he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I would have thought he would stop there, but he didn't. He said, and the second is like unto it. And, and, and in, the, in, the, in the grammar of the Greek language, what Jesus was saying is the second can't be separated from it. It has to go right along with it. And that is, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So loving God, loving people is at the very, very heart of the Christian life. So it shouldn't surprise us that now, as he goes from really what it means to love God as a living sacrifice, what it means to begin to serve one another, what it means to have a renewed mind, we've got to tackle this topic of what it means to really love one another. So let's go there. We're going to talk first about renewing the mind, getting God's perspective on love. And then we're going to go from a renewed mind or a renewed thinking about love to to, uh, explore how do you chart a course to grow in this part of your life? How do you try to figure out where am I now, where are you as as a lover, as a person that really understands love, and where do you want to go, and what are some steps to move you in that direction, okay? That's where we're going in the next 30 minutes or so. Here we go. And by the way, in the mid, toward the end of this message, we're going to give you a chance to actually write part of the message. We're going to give you a chance to share some of the ways in which you've actually felt loved 
So if you're thinking with me as I teach, be thinking, when have I most felt the love of other people uh, in my life, especially here at Seacoast? And if you think about that, I'll give you a chance to, to share that later, later on. Let's renew the mind, though. Let's get God's perspective. I like to start there. Because it begins, our passage begins, verse 9, he says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. We'll come back to that in a minute. But he starts off right off the bat in verse 9. Let love be real. Don't be hypocritical. Be genuine. Let love be without hypocrisy. Uh, the word for hypocrisy uh, you know, was uh, one that the Greeks understood well because it was a combination of words that meant from behind the mask. It's because when you went to the Greek theater, often the characters in the Greek theater, have you seen these big masks that they used to, used to wear? You, we, they, we hang them on walls now. But the reality is they, they would put up a mask. So, if you're, so if, you're, if you're supposed to be happy, you got the big smiling mask and you held up the, the smiley mask in front of your face. And if you wanted to be real sad, you had the sad mask. You know? So they, they were always, often the actors and actresses would use these masks to portray different human emotions. And he says, we don't want you to live your life behind a mask. We want you to be real. We want you to be genuine. Notice, we want you to love one another, but actually mean it, not just be faking it to look good. We want you to be authentically loving one another. Now, just to pause there, I think it's important that we realize that that's why in verse 2, he said, and do not be conformed to this world, verse 2, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. So if the Spirit of God is going to transform us to really learn to love authentically, to love without hypocrisy and just be faking it, then we have got to change the way we think about love before we try to change our actions. So what I want to do there, because this passage is much more action-oriented, I want to take you on a very quick uh, perusal of my favorite four truths about love that are taught elsewhere outside of this passage. Because we've got to renew our mind and think like God thinks about love if we're going to begin to put it into practice. And here are four quick lessons on love. Ready? Here we go. Number one, love, and I'm especially talking about the phrase that's used here is the Greek word agape. There are different words for love. There's words like eros that emphasize more sensual love, more feeling-oriented love. There's, there's a word... Um, uh, Adelphos, which, which is like Philadelphia, or, or Philos, which is like Philadelphia. It, you know, it's like, it's like brotherly love, family love. You know, and, and then there's this agape word, which usually is used to emphasize this unconditional love, this love that is more like the love God has for, for us. So we're talking about God's type of love, not that he just wants to have for us, but he wants to, by his spirit, who lives in us, be able to actually help us love that way. So what does that type of love look like? Let me give you four quick passages. Keep a finger or marker in Romans 12. Go to 1 John chapter 4 with me. 1 John chapter 4. I don't have time to teach these in detail, but you'll get the big idea really quick. Here's the big idea of this passage. Love, agape love, is a God thing. So we've got to rely upon him to experience it. In other words, this is not something you just go home today and say, you know something, I'm going to love like God. Guess what? If you just try to do that in your own strength, in the strength of your own self, your old person without Christ, you cannot do that. But as we walk and depend upon the Spirit of Christ who comes to indwell the lives of his, of his followers, this is what he wants to produce. But, he, but so clear, it's so clear that Scripture says, don't try to do this on your own. 
Listen to this. Just You'll get it. Here we go. Beginning in verse uh, 7 through 13. Beloved, let us love one another. There's the big idea of the morning. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In other words, you know, don't tell me God lives in you and you've got a relationship with Jesus if it's not changing the way you love. He says it, it will be a natural outgrowth of you being born into the family of God, having the Spirit of God implanted in your heart is one of the natural fruit that flow out of that is this thing called love. He says, verse 9, For by this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, sent his Son to be the payment or propitiation for our sins. Beloved, hey, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, then God abides in us and his love is perfected or matured in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he abides or lives in us because he's given us his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, this will be a rich sermon someday. We'll just take this whole passage apart. But today, the big idea is this. Love, like we're talking about it this morning, is a God thing. You, you need to say, Lord, I need your help if I have any hope of being this kind of person. And that's okay. We're all in that together. It's a God thing. So depending and learning to rely upon Him, trusting in Him, is where it always begins. Number two, second thing in this passage, same passage, stay right there, is that this love is a key indicator of my spiritual life. So I should expect it to begin to grow and show up in me. Uh, Verse 8, for example, says, the one who does not love doesn't know God. Now he's not saying that my loving earns my relationship with Christ. That's not true. I have a relationship with Christ when I come to faith in Christ as my Savior. But he says, look, you should expect your love ability, okay, your love capacity to grow if you have a relationship with Christ. If you're not experiencing an increase in your love capacity, I would say you need to step back and say, have I really placed my life to Christ? Have I really chosen Him as my Lord, my Savior? Am I really following him? Because if you are, this is going to grow. It's a great indicator of spiritual life, spiritual growth. Number three, this love is also a key marker of my spiritual growth. So it's an indicator of whether I'm alive in Christ. It's also a key marker that I should use in my life as I spiritually grow. So I need to nurture it, expect more of it. One of my great uh, favorite passages on this one is 1 Thessalonians 3. Almost never hear this quoted by others. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. Just mark the reference down if you, if you don't get there real quick with me, okay? 1 Corinthians 3, 11. You know, by the way, some people say, Dale, why don't you put all these verses up on the screen? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, obviously, I like to put stuff on the screen. Can I unveil a little secret? I think it's healthy for you to learn your way around your Bible. So sometimes when I'm really pressed for time, I'll pop it on the screen. 
Often I won't, and it's not because I want to make life hard on you. It's because I think you're more spiritually healthy and prepared if you get familiar with your Bible, you mark it up, you highlight stuff, you, you write notes in it, because you, know, you don't always have the screen with you when you travel around, right? So, but you do have the Word. So kind of get used to that. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have extras on the tables in the back. You can pick one up coming in. I'll give you one if you don't have one. The reality is we want you in the Word here at Seacoast. We don't want you so dependent upon Pastor Dale's PowerPoint, all right? But I will say this. Listen to verse 8. Verse 8, uh, excuse me, listen, listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse uh, 11. He says, Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father and at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints someday. See, I love the fact that the Thessalonian church, if you go back to chapter 1, he compliments them on the fact that they are a church that is strong in their love for one another. And then a little later in the book, he comes here and he says when he prays for them, he prays that their love would increase and abound. Now, it's in, it's, you know, it's got, wait, 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 I, th- I thought he said they're already doing that. And then I get the secret in chapter 4, verse 9. Look at chapter 4, verse 9. He says, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to even write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. You got this, man. You're doing it. And then what he says, verse 10, For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, but I urge you, brethren, to excel still more. See, this is the only area I know of in which God will look at a church and he will say, you are a loving group of people. Man, you all get this. I'm so proud of you. Now, excel at it. Keep growing in it. Keep increasing in it. Because the reality is in life is you never master what it means to love like God. So even if it's a strength of you in your marriage, your relationships, your friendships, in the life of the church, The reality is, this is a topic in which none of us ever, ever stop needing to grow. Always got more to learn. Becky and I went away with some other couples on the marriage retreat, couples retreat uh, down to San Diego two weeks ago. Okay, I've been leading these retreats. I wrote a crazy book on love, which is not that good, but it's there. You know, the, the reality is you can write a book on it, you can lead retreats on it for 30 some years, And you go away with your wife and you say, honey, is there anything I can do to better love you? And you know what she said? It's none of your business, what she said. (laughs) Well, let's move on, okay? (laughs) My point is simply this. She said something. (laughs) Oh, yeah, she had several things for me. In fact, fact, she said, hey, hey, honey, I I brought a list, you know, and boom, 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 you know, it's typed out, you you know, single space, you know, eight font, you know, you know, you know, it wasn't that bad, but she, she always says, there's always more I can learn how to love her. There's always more I can learn how to better love you. But this is so important that even if it's a strength, I love the fact that God says, see this as a key marker in your spiritual growth. Keep nurturing it. Keep studying it. Excel still more. First, that's 410. Number four. Not only is this important in your spiritual life, your spiritual growth, it's important in our relationship to the community, to the world. 
I call it, this love is the great apologetic, strengthening our credibility with the world. John 17, okay? John 17 says this. I'll read you the key excerpt. Verse 21 says that we are to love one another like I've loved you so that the world may believe that the Father sent me. Jesus says whether or not the world, those outside the faith, whether or not they believe that Jesus is the real deal is likely dependent upon what they see and how we treat one another in the church. And it's one of the reasons the church has a lousy reputation in much of the world is because we've come up short on this one. So the reality is, when you're a part of church with a capital C, meaning the kingdom of God, those that have their faith in the grace of God and, and trust in His Word, and you know, is whether we agree or disagree on little stuff, the reality is we need to be loving each other because we are His church. We are His witness to the world. And he says the world will make a decision about Jesus based on what they see and how we love each other. Wow. I thought it was about us just having smart answers to all their objections. And he says a lot of times it's not just having smart answers for their objections. It's not just being able to argue philosophically for the existence of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and the creation by God and intelligent design and all that stuff is important. But all of that means nothing if we don't learn how to love one another with authentic love. That's the big idea. Verse 23, John 17, 23. He says, do this so the world may know that thou didst send me. John 13, I think it's around 33 to 35. Jesus says, hey, to his inner circle, love one another like I have loved you so that the world might know that you're my disciple. It's that important. So I hope these four concepts first... And when you do your preparation for your life group, if your life group is doing the sermon-based study, like many of them are, or when you do your personal time with God, I hope you're signed up for our uh, daily encounters that we email to you. In both of those, this is where we start. Because we need to change the way we think about God's love. Its importance, its role, what it's like. And especially that it's a God thing, not a me thing. And if, as we do that, now we're ready to begin to chart our course to better learn how to love one another so now guess what we're going back to romans 12 let's go here we go because romans 12 is very much a chart the course kind of passage listen to it i'll read it and then we'll we'll break it down it begins first with the big idea love without hypocrisy i've already kind of covered that love without hypocrisy it says this let love be without hypocrisy abhor what's evil cling to what is good be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing, the idea is together in hope, persevering together in tribulation, devoted together in prayer, and contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. What do we learn from these four rich verses? First, the big idea. The big idea, which I've already mentioned, love without hypocrisy. Be real. Uh, understand, too, you know, being imperfect doesn't make you a hypocrite. You know, being a hypocrite is putting the mask on. It's not being honest. It's not being authentic. It's, 
it's not being um, uh, transparent with people so they, they know you are who you say you are. Uh, you know, the, the world is not looking for perfect Christians because they know that as soon as they know that, they know enough about themselves to know that you're faking it. So it's okay to admit you got flaws. It's okay to admit that you're still learning how to love like we talk about here at Seacoast. It's okay you know, to not act like you got it all together. Uh, but let love be authentic, that's the, that's the starting point. And I think we need to understand that this concept of loving with, with uh, authenticity now begins to be applied, I believe, to every statement after this. See, I think this is more than just one statement followed by statement two, statement two, three, statement four. If you understand the flow of this text, what he's saying is he says, hey, love without hypocrisy. Now let me tell you what that looks like. And he begins to apply this. So you can, you can, you can, you can layer this love, with, love um, without hypocrisy to every other statement that we're going to study. And he begins then to unpack this. Uh, I like to unpack a lot of stuff. I need a new word. Uh, okay, anyway. He begins to explore uh, some of the foundations of what it means to love one another. I want to give you a diagram because I know we have a lot to cover and my objective today is to give you the big picture on this concept of loving one another. And, 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 and then, maybe in future weeks uh, down the road, we will do a passage. You could do a whole sermon on every one of these phrases because they're very rich. But the implication in this passage was Paul's just trying to give us the big idea first. What does... Love without hypocrisy look like. Let's go ahead and bring up that next slide. Here it is. I want to show you a diagram that will begin to uh, uh, help you organize your thoughts about what it means to love. There are four different arenas for loving. If you, if you look at this love one another concept in the Bible, um, as I, there's about somewhere between, there's probably 16 to 24, depending on some of the words are kind of synonyms, uh, different key different discernible ways in which we love one another. And, if I, and when I studied them, I realized they kind of break into four different types of, of love. There's love that's kind of foundational for being a family, for being a spiritual family. And then there's love for facing life together, good times, bad times, ups and downs. And those, those require a different expression of love. It's interesting, Romans, 9 to, Romans 12 today will, will stay entirely in those first two quadrants. But then when I look at the rest of the Bible, there's other expressions of how we love each other. For example, when sin is the issue, when you have a friend or a brother or sister in Christ who is, who is, uh, who is living in a, in a sinful behavior that they need to stop, then there's another expression of how to love. And then we have other times when Christians aren't sinning, but they just disagree. I don't know if you ever realized that. Sometimes Christians disagree. They disagree on stuff that the Bible says don't do that. I mean, the Bible doesn't say don't do that. Or, you know, it's, so there's not a clear command in Scripture. You know, it's a lifestyle issue. It's, it, you know, it's, it's how we live, how we dress, exactly what we do, what movies we go to, what beverages you have with dinner, you know, what you think about this or that. There's all kinds of things in which Christians, believe it or not, all of a sudden disagree. And there's a second, there's another whole set of one another's targeting that. So I'm going I'm to give you those at the end very, very briefly. But here's the big idea of this passage. Let me start you off with this one. He says, be devoted to one another, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. The word for being devoted 
has this emphasis of, uh, of, of commitment, devotion to one another, but he specifically calls it out that he says, this needs to be like family. This is like brotherly love. Because we often have a certain level of devotion to those that are friends. We have a deeper level of devotion to those that are family. And he's calling us out here to love like family. I remember a few years ago when I was, uh, more than a few years ago, many years ago, when I was uh, in junior high school, there was a big kid in the neighborhood. I'll give you the very short version. Had a little conflict going on with him. He wasn't loving me like Jesus. I had no interest in loving him like Jesus. But the reality is I was just big enough that I kind of was poised over top of him with my fist like this saying, you take back what you just called me or I'm going to land this thing right in the middle of your face. So I'm sitting there and I'm kind of, and I'm praying actually uh, as a junior higher. I remember this, Lord, I don't want to hit this kid. It might hurt my hand, but you know, but, but I was definitely in control of the situation. Okay. And, and all of a sudden this kid that was under my fist, his high school buddy comes running across the field to take me out. And I'm looking and I'm looking up. I'm thinking I better make a decision quick, you know? And all of a sudden I have, I had an older brother, an older brother who played middle linebacker, who was in high school, and he was sitting on our front porch watching this whole thing, I think laughing at me, because usually it was my older brother that was over top of me, you know, you know, growing up, okay, I mean, he picked on me a lot, you know, so all of a sudden, though, I noticed my older brother, and I'm thinking, uh-oh, older brother there, big kid coming at me here, and all of a sudden, my older brother, the linebacker, came off the porch on a dead run and got between me and the other big kid. And he said, you leave them alone or I will take you out. And I'm like, I can't believe what I'm hearing. <laughs> you know, I guess my brother's probably thinking, you know, it's my job to beat up on my little brother, not you. <laughs> you, know, you, know, but, you know, but you know, we laugh at that. But you know, the, the reality was, um, that's what family does. That's what real family does. If it's a healthy family, you say, you know something, we're family. And I want to take care of you. And, and what he says is the church needs to become the spiritual family in devotion to one another in brotherly love. Okay, I'll tell you the end of that story another day, but I came out of it all right. Number two, he gives give preference to one another. You love each other when you give preference to one another, um, when you prefer one another, when you let the other person go first, when you lift one another up. It's very, very similar to the passage we studied earlier that, that talked about in Philippians chapter 2 um, last week where it said serve one another like Christ took on the form of a servant, not just looking out for your own personal interest but the interest of others. So he talks about giving preference to one another. He talks about honoring one another. That's the third one. He says give preference in honor. You know, when you think of the word honor, what do you think of? It means to lift up. It means to esteem or hold highly in high esteem. Uh, it's an action-oriented thing. You don't just feel honor, you do honor, all right? So you honor one another. Uh, you talk about other people more than yourself. You want other people to know how much you appreciate that person and what they do. Um, you want others to uh, thank God for the what that person, who, who that person is and what they do. So, so when you honor someone, you are, you're, you're putting them ahead of yourself and you're lifting them up instead of lifting yourself up. It's everything 
from as simple as opening the door for someone else and saying, you go through first, is a very simple little way in which you give honor to someone. It's communicating esteem and appreciation, especially. And by the way, when he says this, then he goes into this little side trail, I think, where he says, give preference to one another in honor. Verse 11, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. It's interesting what he does. I think what he's really saying there is he's saying, let me just kind of warn you, you're going to have to work at this. Those are, those are, those are intentional phrases. He says, and don't lag behind in diligence, in honoring and, and giving preference and, and lifting up others and loving without hypocrisy. He says, this, this, you're going to have to pay attention to this. This doesn't just naturally flow out of the human heart apart from Jesus Christ and what he wants to do. You know, the world doesn't operate this way. The world doesn't think this way. So if you don't pay attention to it, and, and I love that little trilogy of phrases, be diligent at it, be fervent in spirit doing it, and do it serving the Lord. Now, when that one hit me, I stopped. Because I said, right up until now, it's been all about serving one another, loving one another, honoring one another, giving preference to one another. And then he says, serving the Lord. And I think what he's saying is this. We need to realize that ultimately, the strongest motivation I have to actually love other people in this radical way is when I realize I'm doing it because I love Jesus Christ. I'm doing it out of service to Jesus Christ. Wow. And here's where that helps me. Sometimes when um, Becky or my kids or a friend or anybody, sometimes when someone in my life is hard to love, and at times all of us are hard to love, when it's hard to find joy in loving Becky, then I say, you know something? I'm not just doing this for her. Let me just do this because it honors Christ. Let me do this out of my service and love for Jesus. And that's a whole different level of motivation that kicks in. So now I'm loving other people, not because I feel like it, but because I want to honor Christ and I'm serving Christ. And that's a deeper motivation. In fact, that's what keeps love relationships growing is when you're not really doing it for the other person, ultimately you're doing it for Christ. It's a great list. And then he jumps to the other side of the list. We'll spend less time on this. For teaching, for facing life together. And, and notice the progression, because now he begins to deal with more the, the type of love that's needed when you go through the ups and downs of life. Here they are. There's four, uh, five of them. He says, rejoice with one another in hope. In other words, rejoice with one another in hope. And then he says, persevering in tribulation together. That means to encourage one another in the tough times. So rejoice together, uh, persevere together in the bad times, praying for one another, devoted to prayer, he says, praying for one another. Then he says, contributing to the needs of the saints. In other words, caring for one another, actually doing something physical to care for each other. Those are the first four. Now you just see, the, you see the, how that builds. See, the first list was more, you know, if you're going to be a healthy family, you better learn to give preference and honor and, and esteem and serve Christ and be devoted to one another. And then life begins to hit you. And at, sometimes, man, you're going through good times or you're going through crappy times. And depending on what you're facing in life, 
You need people to rejoice with you, but also persevere with you, encourage you, pray with you, and sometimes physically care for you. It says contributing to the needs of the saints. He's talking here about actually bringing something to the table, bringing money or goods to the table to care for each other. Wow. Here at Seacoast, we have one very simple little way you do this called the care fund. And we don't talk a lot about it. It kind of is quietly under the table. But the reality is, um, I, I thought this is a great Sunday to just educate you briefly. It's a fund that we use to help people in distress especially those here in the church who are falling on tough times. They've lost a job. They have, they have a health crisis. They have this or that. You know, and uh, typically in a typical year, uh, this fund usually needs about $14,000, $15,000 a year to function. Okay, our budget is a little over a million. So it's not a huge thing, but it's an important thing. And if you want to give a little bit to this or a lot, if you want to give to this over and above your usual worship and giving, and you know, uh, then then we encourage you to do that. And you don't need to write all that down. We've actually set up a, a new way in which you can do it online. You can do online giving. You can even text to that number, and it'll walk you through how to set up a way in which you can do that. And there's a link to the CARE Fund. Or more conveniently, what we used to do, and we're going to do it this morning, is on the three tables in the back near the entrances, you'll see white boxes that say CARE Fund. And as you leave today, I'd like to just kind of pitch a challenge, and I'll, I'll be the first one. Uh, Becky and I this morning uh, prayed, talked, uh, wrote a check, or, or actually in our case, we went online and, and, and contributed to this fund. I want to encourage, what, wouldn't it be cool if we just knocked out the annual demand of this fund in one week? I, for, okay, give me a little freedom to dream with you. Maybe, you know, so whatever you want to do, if you want to drop a dollar in or you want to drop a thousand dollars in, whatever you want to do, um, as you go out the door, pray and either this morning, or if you want to go home and think and pray about it, sometime during the week or next week, go online. If you mark the thing Care Fund, it goes toward this. But there are some very real needs. And I think it's really neat that we have this separate fund. So uh, consider making that maybe part of your giving routine. Last but not least, he then says practice hospitality. Last part of the passage. Contribute to the needs of the saints and practice hospitality. Now, what's he mean by practicing hospitality? It's this, be a lover of strangers. Be a lover of strangers. That's what the word actually means in Greek. Be a lover of strangers. Don't just get so focused on caring for yourself as a church that you, that you don't love on the people that come in your doors. You don't love on the community. And we're going to be doing more of that. You'll hear about that this coming spring. Be lovers of strangers welcome and love one another well that's all we have time for this morning those bottom two lists that we'll explore in future sermons when sin is the issue here's what the list looks like speak the truth to each other exhort one another maybe even discipline one another but most of all forgive one another as christ has forgiven us that's kind of my favorite four for those type situations. When you have situations when Christians simply disagree, then there's another set I find in Scripture. Bear with one another in love. Accept one another. Respect one another's choices. And do not judge one another. That's not talking about whenever sin is the issue. That's talking about when it's just lifestyle issues in which we disagree. But they're not issues of sin. And when you see that whole page, wow, 
What a great life that is. One thing I wanted to do was to let you be part of the sermon this morning. So we're going to give you just a few minutes. And I've got a couple um, assistants who are going to grab mics and be in the aisle. And we'd like to ask you to answer this question in just one phrase. Here it is. Here's the question of the morning. The question is, I felt loved by our church family when? And if you just want to pop up, stand up, they'll bring you a mic and you can complete that single sentence. Um, a couple of years ago I had surgery and I don't, God just um, uh, put Dawn in front of me um, a few weeks before that surgery and she just made sure that uh, people came around and fed my family. Wow. I didn't ask for it. I didn't look for it. I didn't even know it was coming, but I, I felt loved. I love that. I didn't ask for it. Didn't even know it was coming. That's what I call being mugged by love. You know, a mugging is an unexpected act of violence. Well, being mugged by love is an unexpected act of kindness. Good. Give me another one. Some of you have texted these in this week. So while someone's waiting to pop up, let me read you one. Tabitha said, I felt loved by Seacoast when I was welcomed immediately into my life group that I was trying out. Even though I was new, everybody else had been together for a long time. Yeah. Um, I was loved when I was sent by this church to China. Okay. Great. Generosity. Cole wrote, I felt loved by Seacoast family when the junior high ministry and the high school ministry leaders uh, spend time together talking about ministry. Here's one. It's along the same lines as um, Seacoast has really um, come alongside us in a lot of our current struggles and tragedies. Um, our children both struggle with seizure disorders, <laughs> and there's been prayer and meals and overwhelming love and people to care for our, our son while we were in the hospital with our daughter, and it's still happening, and just thanks. Thank you. Yeah, yeah we've, we, we've had three babies since we've uh, been at Seacoast, and uh, receiving blankets, meals, and, um, and prayer, too. So, great. Having babies can be stressful. <laughs> yeah, there's another one. Um, a couple years ago, I moved out here with my mom, and we really didn't have much. And a lot of the women in this church just came and threw us a housewarming party and filled our home with furniture, dishes, everything. We didn't pay a dime for anything in our home. And it was like the most incredible love for a church I had never even met Wow. But it really blessed me and my mom, and we're really happy to be here. Thank you. Here's another one that was texted in. Chris Wright, I felt loved by the family at Seacoast when I received help, a smile, cheerful greetings, and, um, and, and supportive prayer consistently. Catherine writes, I felt loved by Seacoast family when we stopped the high school small groups just to pray for my dad. That's great. Yeah. Uh, I felt loved... Um, a couple years ago, Devin and I were really struggling in our marriage, and we had multiple families come by our side, like the Buchanans and, and the, the Cars and the Newbies, and, and they just uh, came by our side and led us through some tough difficulties. When, when I, I couldn't even love myself, they, they showed their love unconditionally. Thanks. Over here. Um, I... Uh, 
I'd been praying for my husband for close to 40 years and been going to church by myself. And um, within the last several months, I've been coming to Seacoast. And he's been coming with me, which is a praise, although he's not here this morning. <laughs> but um, I haven't had a chance to get to know anybody because he would come and then we'd bolt right out, you know. So I um, started the women's study, and um, a woman came up to me, Olivia, and um, she just made me feel so welcome and introduced herself and just just really got to know me, and it was the beginning of uh, getting to know some of the women here, and I'm really grateful for that because I was feeling very alone having left my other church and knowing so many people, so yeah. I'm very grateful for that. Thanks. Maybe the band can come on back up to lead us in a closing song. Let's get the band to come on up while we hear a couple more. Here we go. Um, I shared this a couple years ago, but we had, um, um, now we have a son, but we had a miscarriage a few years back, and um, I felt really loved, and it's going to stick in my mind forever, when my small group, some of the girls rushed home to be with my wife, during the miscarriage when I was stuck at work and I couldn't get out. And that was like hands-on, somebody there going through that. It was pretty impressive. Mm. You know, I think the common theme that we hear in these is, and Ryan said it well, it's hands-on. See, this morning we're not talking about feeling love. We're talking about delivering it. And that's what it means to love, to love one another. I want to go to one final point in the message. And if you have more of these, yeah. we have one more. All right. You talk me into it, Jordan. Yeah. Um, we're in the same group, but um, my wife, Whitney, and I had been married just a short amount of time. And within our first couple of years of marriage, we've gone through a lot of stuff with our families. And without going into too many details, a lot of family stuff with on Whitney's side of the family and me not knowing how to you know, come alongside her fully and being able to process this stuff, but our group coming alongside us and praying with us and helping her to process through things that were so difficult for me to be able to just figure out how to love her fully and seeing our the girls in that group and the men just come around her and pray with her and wow. through such a time of hurting. It's been amazing to be able to see how the family of, of Christ coming together um, to love us. So one more quick one. One more quick one. I can't turn this one down. I've been loved for church because, um, she. It's <laughs> okay. Got it. You want to finish it for him, Mom? He said because everyone says good morning to him and he has friends. Amen. Yeah. Amen. That's great. So here's the deal. You know, every week I'm trying to help you picture, so how do I get a sense of how am I growing as a lover? And we've covered that chart, has so many different things on it today. I wanted to kind of boil it down in one final little thing for you to just kind of take home with you, and it's on the very bottom of your outline because I figured I'd run out of time. But here's what it is. How are you loving? I think for many of us, before Christ, love is a feeling. You either have it or you don't. And then for me, it became a response. Wow, God loved me. I want to love, but largely I loved when others loved me. And I would love them back. 
And then it kind of became, you know, I can choose to love whether people love me or not. Love becomes a choice. And then as I grew, I realized, you know, love can actually be a gift. I can give it with no strings attached. That's a different kind of love. Then I thought, but you know, if you want to be like Christ, it's when love becomes a sacrifice. It's not just a gift, not just a choice. It's a sacrifice. And I'm okay giving up something in order to love you. And if we let that infuse, get infused into our families, our relationships, our marriage, our friendships, into our church, then we become a Christ-centered place to hang out. It's amazing what God will do as we do that. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for what you're teaching us this morning about love. Um, God, we all are challenged in this. We all realize that um, no matter where we are on that spectrum of growing into a Christ-centered lover, we all have a lot to learn. Thank you for your grace that forgives us when we fail and picks us up whenever we're struggling. And Thank you for the body of Jesus Christ, the church. With all of our imperfections, God, because we're a, we're a collection of imperfect people. But I thank you that your grace keeps calling us to love one another as you've loved us. So do that. We invite you to do that. In Christ's name, amen.